sing let the glory of the Lord let the glory of the Lord forever be our joy may redemption be the theme of our song for by grace we have been saved and by grace we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth that Christ has come. Let the nations be glad, let the people rejoice, for salvation belongs to our Salvation 
sing these songs together. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, I invite you to turn there with me to chapter 2. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. In a few minutes, uh, Andrew is going to be preaching from this section of scripture. And we'll remain standing out of honor for God and his perfect word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Amen. You may be seated. And in a moment, we're going to pray. But before we do, I have uh, the chance to put something exciting on the table for us this morning. Just an announcement and a reminder that uh, something uh, really exciting is coming to grace this fall, and that's the missions course. So you've probably heard a bit about this. We've been talking about it for a while, but the missions course is beginning on September 19th, and it is a six-week course, six consecutive Tuesday evenings, where we as a church are going uh, to be participating in uh, a class designed or a course designed to introduce us to God's heart for the nations and to really encourage and challenge us each to think about what it would look like for us to play the role that God has called us to play uh, in that. So the goal is that each of us would know God's mission and be able to make it our own. Child care is going to be provided each of those Tuesday evenings, so if you have kids, would encourage you to sign up, bring them along. Uh, we have child care available for them. This is going to be a great opportunity for us as a church to be exposed uh, to these themes in Scripture and to just think about what it would look like for us to invest our lives in them. So we actually have a short video right now, and we're going to play that just to give a little bit of a flavor of what's coming and uh, want to encourage you to think even today about signing up to join us this fall. So here's that video. When I heard the phrase, the Great Commission, I honestly was, was a little confused. I didn't really know what it was. I remember the very first time I heard these words after I became a Christian, and they turned my world upside down. The Great Commission is not just an early believer's thing. The Great Commission is for every believer in every age and every stage. There are hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus who want to see the Great Commission fulfilled. Give up your story and join God's story. He wants to give you a role to join Him, to reach the ends of the earth. It's all about His glory through Jesus being praised among all nations. 
There you go. So lots to look forward to this fall. I uh, hope you'll think about joining us for these Tuesdays. Great way to invest uh, those evenings. And with that, let's pray together. Our theme in prayer this morning is going to be uh, for the nations and for what God is doing in, his, our, in our church as we think about these things. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you and want to praise you and worship you as the God of the nations. You have created the cosmos for this purpose, to redeem a people who will be uh, the bride of Christ, the people uh, whom Jesus will pour his love on for all eternity. And Lord, we're just grateful that you've called us into the kingdom of Christ, that you've rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to be worshipers of Jesus. And thank you that you give us the call to invest our lives in um, making disciples of all nations. Father, we want to lift up our church, Grace Church of Orange, and pray that as we've been thinking about missions with the missions conference last Saturday with Chris Anderson here and the missions course coming up this fall, um, we pray that you would help us to increasingly align our hearts and uh, desires and initiatives of this church with your heart for the nations. Lord, would you work to, um, to develop in us a heart for lost people around us in the city of Orange um, and in the county here? a uh, heart for lost people all around the nations who are dying and need to hear of Christ for places in the world where the gospel has gone, and yet maybe the influence has diminished and there's need for healthy churches that are faithfully preaching your word. Lord, we pray that you would raise up laborers to go out into the harvest from grace. Um, Jesus, you, you tell us to pray that you would send laborers out into the harvest, and so we want to pray right in line with that and pray that out of Grace Church of Orange, you would raise up people, young or old, to go uh, to the nations as well as locally bringing the good news of the gospel. Father, we're just excited to see what you do uh, here this fall. And we lift up uh, all of the people already who either have been sent out from grace or supported missionaries. Um, we, we ask that you would bless the work that they're already doing in the world, that you would encourage them, strengthen them, enable them to serve you faithfully. And we pray that you would cause their work to have a uh, fruit that lasts into all of eternity. Um, Lord, we're thankful for this morning to be together. Thank you for uh, how you graciously pour out kindness on us in Christ. Thank you that you've sent your spirit into our hearts so that we can understand your word and see your glory. Lord, we ask that as we are singing songs that are filled with your word, and as we pray, and as we have fellowship, and as we hear your word uh, preached to us this morning, that we would receive it as what it is, your words, and that your spirit would cause it to plunge deep into our hearts and to awaken or reawaken love for Christ and a heart for the things that you love. Lord, we're uh, grateful for your grace towards us. We pray you'd have your way in our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we sing. This anchor for my soul, this everlasting home, your grace on which I stand. It's where my life begins, my future holds within, your grace on which I stand. And don't this grace on which I stand, it will hold me to the end, never failing. 
in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The mystery, hidden for the ages and generations, has been revealed. It is Christ in 
the hope of glory, Jesus. And so we sing, come behold the wondrous mystery, slain by death the God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is
sing of the mystery, Lord, that it's no longer it's no longer hidden, Father, but it's been revealed to us. It's been revealed to us by your power, by your word, through Christ, your Son. Lord, we thank you that we have hope in him. Draw us to him this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. We are going to be in 2 Timothy both this morning and for the next four weeks. Uh, myself, Pastor Mike, and Connor are going to be um, pulling from different passages in 2 Timothy. And as you turn there, we're, we're really going to be focusing on verse 8 today, verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. But just to sort of get our brains thinking, uh, let's start by imagining two different people. They, they both start in the same place. And, and hopefully you've experienced this in your life or, or you've seen it with someone else. God will often just sort of burst in or barge into someone's life, right? They're going along and they hear a sermon, they read a book, they read something in scripture, something wakes them up spiritually. And, and they, they realize this burden of guilt and shame and frustration and anger and sin that I've been carrying around, I can be free. I can, I can have hope now. Jesus offers me forgiveness and cleansing and all these beautiful things. And they're excited. Both these people in our story are excited. But you know that what happens is that as the months turn into years, the excitement starts to fade away. And that's not always a bad thing, right? Like when you walk down the aisle, if you've been married, the excitement level is higher than the, um, you know, hey, do you want me to get the baby? this time, at 3 a.m., year nine, (laughs) different excitement levels, but not bad. The the couple who's been together for nine years is hopefully stronger, deeper. They've got roots to their relationship that they didn't have before, and that happens in our relationship with the Lord, right? In in one example, we can say that the the excitement wears off, but these rhythms of life start to, to kick in where it's about as exciting as going out and watching one of the trees growing, right? You're reading, you're praying. It's not exciting, but it's, it's daily strengthening. It's daily roots going deeper. The trunk is getting stronger. But then there's a second sort of possibility where it looks the same on the outside. Someone's praying, they're reading the Bible, they serve in their church maybe, but instead of day by day growing a tiny bit, you know, imperceptibly stronger, they grow a tiny little bit weaker and a tiny little bit more distant from the Lord, more kind of um, almost like dry-rotted inside. Maybe you get some intellectual excitement here and there about a new thing, but, but that deep enjoyment of God, that soul satisfaction, it just becomes sort of like your spiritual life is like a treadmill. You don't really go anywhere, and nobody enjoys it, but you're supposed to do it. And, and that's, that's a path, this second path, That's a path that leads to addictions, affairs, gluttony, self-destruction, pornography. That's that path. Because you will get joy from something. You will. You're made to. And if it's not coming from the Lord, you you go elsewhere, right? How do you avoid being the second one? How do you avoid going down that second path? Let me me give you a a picture to imagine it another way that, that I think is the difference between these two. 
Imagine two, these same two people, we're going to mix metaphors, okay? These same two people are going to take a trip to the Grand Canyon, okay? And this is one of the uh, only national parks that actually blew my mind, right? If you've been there, it really is incredible. A lot of them are sort of like, okay, I've been there, got a picture, and then you leave. Imagine these two people going to the Grand Canyon. One of them gets up just close enough to kind of see, and it's, you know, yep, got it, okay, it's big, it's deep. Uh huh. All right, I'm going to go back over to the car. I'm going to set up camp and I'm going to do some other work. I got stuff to do. The other one gets there, and that first glimpse isn't enough for them. They want more, they, they want to get closer. They want to look down, they want to see every detail. They just stand there and stare for hours, maybe. That's the difference between those two people I described earlier. They come to Christ. They come to the person of Jesus, and one says, hey, you're, uh, you're going to get me out of hell, right? Okay, okay, good, good, okay. I got stuff to do over here. And the second person, they come and they say, wow, if he's like that, I want more. I might stumble, I might fall, I might keep sinning. I mean, there's all kinds of issues, right? But, but I need more of him. I need, I need that. I've caught a glimpse of that. And that drives out my desire for others, other things. And so while the world looks at us, you know the world looks at us and they say, this is ridiculous what you're doing. There are people dying out there and you're all sitting listening to some pie-in-the-sky fluffy person talk about Jesus. That's dumb. But my hope today is that you would see every single problem in your life and in this world ultimately is fixed by seeing and knowing and loving Christ. Because you see him, you really see him, and it catches you on fire. And as you go out into the world, other people then see him through you, and it catches them on fire. And the only thing that's going to fix a world where there's abuse and violence and wickedness, you can't just try harder. You need a new heart. The world out there needs a new heart. And so we have to see this person of Jesus and be strengthened and grow and grow deep and then go into the world and share him with others. That is the only hope for this world. And so my hope today for us is that we would get rid of any thought of Jesus and our relationship with him that makes him feel boring or cold or stiff or distant or um, I, don't, I don't dislike stained glass. We don't want the Jesus in stained glass that has a limp wrist that's asking the world, could you please listen to me? That's not the Bible's Jesus. We want to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, right, and see, wow, he's, he's that big, he's that great, he's that wide and long and deep and high. That's what we want to do today, and that's what Paul wants Timothy to do. If you look at this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he's leading, this is the last letter Paul's going to write, and he knows it. He knows he's about to die, and he's handing everything off to Timothy, and what he starts to say is, if this gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, from 12 fishermen to the ends of the earth, you're going to have to suffer, Timothy. You're going to need to be ready to suffer. There's going to be pain. And you get to chapter 2, and he starts this section, and he's going to basically answer, well, how do you do that? Like, how? How do you follow Christ in a way where you're ready to suffer, you're ready to die, you're ready to deal with the pain that comes for those who follow 
Jesus. You then, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in, Je- in Christ Jesus. The way we become strong spiritually, the way that we be like that tree that sucks up nutrients and doesn't rot from the inside is this. Be strengthened by the grace, by the kindness, by the mercy that is in Christ Jesus. And then he gives a few more examples in the following verses that describe basically more examples of, hey, this is what your life and ministry is going to look like. It's going to be hard. It's going to be like a farmer. It's going to be like an athlete. And then he comes back to it, verse 7. Think over, meditate on, chew on what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And he expands on this a bit more in the verse where we're going to land. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. The way to draw spiritual strength is to know Christ, to know him as he is, to really see him, and not just have it be a mental thing, right? But it's like, it's like with any friend that you know. As you know people, uh, they do things. And as they do things and you learn more about them, it either draws you towards them or pushes you away. Right? The example I think of, or uh, the example that came to mind first hour, which is now just going to live on forever, is when, when uh, your friend shares a bag of goldfish with you, you see something about their kindness, right? And that kindness draws you towards them. It endears you to them, right? You, you flip the scenario and you see, you see someone and you see pettiness or harshness or rudeness and it, it pushes you away from them. What we mean when we talk about knowing Christ is that you would see him as he is and that his goodness would knit your heart to him. That your allegiance would be with him and him alone. And so that's what we're going to look at in this passage today. This, this verse 8 here is like, you know, some passages in the Bible, you bring your like study axe or what do you, what do you mine with? I don't know the word, your, your pickaxe or whatever. And you're hacking away and you're hacking away and you get a, a little bit of gold here or there. This passage is one where you like walk up to it and you knock it with a hammer and gold just spills out everywhere, right? And we're basically going to be picking up those pieces and looking at them, um, or maybe to, again, mix a metaphor, to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and just say, look there, and look there, and look there. But before we do that, I want one more kind of side note here. I want to talk to you men. Oftentimes in church, we use phrases that don't connect super well with guys. When we talk about knowing Christ or relationship with Christ, or a lot of times the language we use around it, for better or for worse, we don't need to talk about why that is, but it just feels a little off for guys. It's a little bit like Jesus is my boyfriend and I don't want a boyfriend, right? So I hope today to sort of use some language and frame it in some terms that connect better with guys because we need men like Christ. We need men who can suffer, who can die, who can set their face like a flint to do God's will. We need men who will sweat and cry, men who will build families and homes and lives and companies that bring blessing on other people and look different from the world. We need men who protect and provide their families at the cost of their comfort and convenience, men who will serve and do the work that's painful, dirty, grinding, but that brings blessing. We need men who build up with their words, who strengthen and encourage with their words instead of tear down. 
You need men who are sexually pure, who have integrity, who are devoted to one woman, their wife. We need men who pray in private and in public, men who are humble, gentle, patient, slow to anger, overflowing in love and kindness. We need men who, who look at the world. You know we've been having this kind of missions emphasis, right? We need men who look at the world, places like Saudi Arabia, where it's you know, 99.8% Muslim, and, and who look at that and with wisdom hear people say, yeah, you're, you die if you preach the gospel there, right? They just, they just kill you. And start asking questions like, I wonder how many of us would need to die before they start listening. That's the type of men we need, and none of us are that. I'm not that. You're not that. We're not that. But when you know Christ, when you see him as, as your example, as your king, as your Lord, when he actually empowers you through his spirit, he does through you what you can't do on your own. He makes you that kind of man. We can't do it. And we come then and we say, I'm weak, I have nothing to offer, I, I don't have the power, I don't have the strength, but you do. That's what we, that's what we need. His power to energize and to strengthen us. So, how do we do that? Let's look at some of the, some of the beautiful things out of this passage. Chapter 2, verse 8, 2 Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one the Jews had been waiting for. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. The word Christ... The idea of resurrection, risen from the dead, and then the offspring of David, the king that they'd been waiting for, those three together are like he went up to Jenga and there was one little piece at the bottom and he just pulled it out and you get everything with it, right? It's all coming with it. Or, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't maybe have a great other analogy, but he pulls these three phrases like sum up everything that Jesus is and, and was going to be as the Messiah. It just puts a big blanket around it and grabs it all together. And so what we get to do is pull out some of, the, some of the threads there. Pull out some of what he's drawing on. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And we're going to do this in two ways. We're going to talk big picture, and we're going to talk, I guess, small picture. Or you could say cosmic and personal. So like the really big, massive things that Jesus does and is in his roles. And then what does that mean for us personally, and how does he relate to us personally? Those are the two kind of categories we'll look at. And like I said, we're going to kind of stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and I'm just going to point to things. So we're just going to move through these, and I'm going to point to things, and hopefully you can get a bigger, more glorious picture of our Savior. So, cosmic, cosmic, the big picture. We want to stand, and, and as we're looking at the Grand Canyon, we want to open the lens, see as wide and as far as we can. We want to remember Jesus Christ. Number one, what does it mean that he is the Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. He is Yahweh in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. This is something that we usually make like a theological checkbox to like, oh yeah, Jesus is God and man, check. But it has such implications. Realize this. The Bible describes from, from Genesis 3 on the violence and the brokenness and the death and the pain and the suffering, and it presents to us that nothing can be fixed unless God himself intervenes. We can't do it. We can't reach down to the bootstraps and pull ourselves up. God has to do something, and God did. God came. Realize this. The voice that told Moses 
take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. The one that Isaiah saw high and lifted up on a throne, the one that Ezekiel saw in this flying chariot, crazy weird throne, go read Ezekiel 1, and he falls down as though dead, that one, the one who, who says, I am the commander of the armies of Yahweh and I have come to Joshua, that one put flesh on such that these hands and these eyes will see and touch him. We believe in a resurrection, right? Jesus, as the first one resurrected from the dead, gives us hope that what? They might, they might burn you. They might throw you in a box and throw dirt on your face. We're all going to die, but one day we will rise again. These hands that you're holding your Bible with, these eyes will see him and touch him. He took on flesh, and we can be close to him in, in one sense now, but one day we'll see him as he is. So what do I do with this? Remember Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who broke down into history, reached down into history, and fixed our greatest problem, gave us a way to be right with him, gave us a way to have a clean conscience, to be cleared before him. If, if everything is capital O, okay, the smaller things are also okay, right? You failed the test. You didn't make the team. You get no respect at work. Your marriage isn't what you hoped it would be. You thought your life would be more meaningful, but it's just slipping by. God took on flesh, puts all of that in perspective. It's capital O, okay. I can be okay with the rest. I can be okay being a failure. Because I'll be with him in the end. Number two. I don't know a good word for this one, so I just said he's the universe orderer. Maybe you could say it better as he's, he's our high priest. Here's what this means. We don't think in these terms very often. But for Paul and for the New Testament writers, it was a huge deal that a man rose from the dead, and not just that, ascended into heaven, and not just that, sat down at the right hand of the Father. A man has entered into heaven so that now us men and women can enter into heaven, can be right with him. And he stands at the right hand of the Father, and, and what does he do? He's putting his enemies under his feet, Psalm 110 says. And look at this, sin flipped the world upside down. Satan was supposed to submit to God. He didn't. He fought. The angels were supposed to submit to God. They didn't. They, some of them fought, right? Satan comes in, and why does he go to Eve first? Well, Adam was there to protect and lead and love his wife. So he tries to subvert that and go right around it, and he goes to Eve. Then, after the results of sin, what are the results of sin? Well, Adam is going to rebel against his head, God. Eve is going to rebel against her husband. The husband's going to domineer and not love his wife. And, get this, creation was something that man was supposed to rule over and bring blessing and good things on it, but now creation's going to produce thorns and thistles, and man's going to walk all over and destroy the creation. It's all flipped upside down, right? But once Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, it's like the entire universe gets flipped right side up. Because what starts happening? People start getting new hearts, and, and we start submitting to the back then, the emperor, we start submitting to the government, and they're like, what, what are these people doing? Husbands start leading their wives with, with gentleness and kindness and love. Wives start submitting to their husbands willingly. 
And all children start obeying their parents. Why do you think Paul cares about that? Because it shows the world, we've got new hearts and the whole world is flipped on on the right side now. And so he sits at the Father's right hand and he, he is in the process of writing all things. What do I do with this? Remember Jesus Christ who sits at the Father's right hand. Remember that angels who would melt this world if they were revealed to us, they bow down at his feet and say, what would you have me do? It gives you this deep settledness and contentment in your circumstances and your role. When in your heart Christ is seated as Lord because you know in heaven he's seated as Lord Next, he's the death conqueror. He's the death conqueror. You see this in the phrase here. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Death is the problem, right? Sin brings it about, but death is the problem. It comes for every one of us. Every single person in history, aside from from Christ, has died and stayed dead. And we will too. Except that, and here's the irony, God, God does beautiful things, not just awesome things, beautiful things. He killed death through death. Jesus, by dying, put to death death, such that those who follow him have eternal life, fullness of joy and life forever. He killed death, such that one day we will sing, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What do you do with this? Remember Jesus Christ, who destroyed the power of death. We will face it. You will have loved ones die. You will watch your parents or your spouse or maybe even your children die. And yet we can say we have no fear of death. None. We don't think about this as Christians. The world lives in fear of death, right? Like, like anything to not think about it, anything to stay away. Uh, hundreds of dollars on the face cream that makes me a little bit less, look less close to death, right? And he's just set us free from that. There is no fear. And if we don't fear that, we don't have to fear anything. Right? What are they going to do? Kill us? But on a more practical level, if you're free from that fear, you're also free from the fear of what the person next to you thinks of you. Remember, if it's capital O, okay, it's a little case, lowercase, okay, as well. The small things can be okay as well. We're free to live with courage and boldness and do what pleases God without worrying about what others think. Number four, I think. I don't know what we're at. He's the new creator. He's the new creator. We, we do not have a Christ who says, I'm about rescuing souls, and then you come away with me to heaven and we'll float in the clouds forever. No. No, he's making this world right. And one day he's going to make this world right. And one day every broken thing, relationships between God and man, Relations between humans, one another, and relationships between humanity and creation, all made right. All made right. There's a Christmas song that says, He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Wherever you find the curse, you find him restoring it. He will restore it. So what do you do with this? Remember Jesus Christ, who started and will complete one day a total renewal of this world. When your joints ache, remember this. When you're tired and you don't want to keep going, remember this. Number five. He's the spirit giver. So, 
I think I already said this a couple times, but we need new hearts. Anyone who's dealt with addiction knows the, the complex where you hate the thing and you want the thing and you can't get away from it, but you, but you want to get away from it. But it, our hearts without Christ cannot fix themselves. We cannot fix them. We cannot stop hating. We cannot stop longing for things that destroy us and destroy others. So we need a new heart. How does he do this? It says that the Messiah, the one risen from the dead, the offspring of David, will pour out like water the Holy Spirit on his people. If you trust him, you have the power of God inside of you to fight sin, to love others, to have true joy that no one can take from you. You have eternal life. He offers us light and life and love and power to be restored and renewed and to live for him he gives the Spirit. What do I do with this? Remember Jesus Christ who poured out his Spirit on you. Next, he's the sin bearer. He's the one who, who, if you trust him, all your sin is placed on his back and he carries it. And he carries it away. Not the greatest king in the Old Testament. Even Josiah was not able to turn away God's wrath. But because, remember, God put flesh on, because God became a man, Sin is now dealt with. And this gives us friendship with God. Until we have this, we are in pain, we are broken, we know something's off at the core, but Jesus bears our sin away, separates it as far as the east is from the west, and all of the kind... Look, when Jesus takes your sin away, he also allows God to treat you as though you were Christ. The love that God has for Christ, he now turns towards you. The way that God feels, the Father feels towards his Son, he feels towards you if you're a believer. What do I do with this? Remember Jesus Christ. There's a song um, that says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. When Satan comes and says, I know what you're really like. I know what you did. Jesus stands, remember, it's important, he's in heaven, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he says to Satan, get away. And Satan can't do a thing. He says, cleansed, pure, righteous, that is my child. Look at the, the holes in my hands, look at the hole in my side. I carried it away. He bears our sin. Uh, next, He's the peacemaker. He's the peacemaker. We don't use this language a whole lot, but think about this. Right after sin in Genesis 3, what do we have in Genesis 4? The first murder, Cain and Abel. And from that moment on, what characterizes humanity, look around the world today. Violence. Violence. Brother against brother. Mother against son. Uh, nation against nation. It's everywhere. It's within families, it's within uh, bigger groups, it's within national groups, like wherever you go, violence. Jesus makes peace. When he dies on that cross, it's as though a shockwave goes out of peace. Peace between God and man for those who trust in him. Peace. Peace between Jews and Gentiles who were separated. Peace between Gentiles and Gentiles who hated one another. And eventually, Isaiah tells us, peace between all nations such that they won't learn war anymore. Can you imagine that? Hey, hey SEAL Team 6, hey, Navy SEALs, um, go ahead, 
put the weapons away. We're going to have you guys farm, okay? You're going to become farmers. That's the type of peace he's going to bring. What do I do with this? Remember Jesus Christ, who is our peace, and let it banish all hatred in your heart towards others. Ask yourself, you know, there's, there's different types of people. When you are around a situation, do you make it more, more strife, more contention, stir up people being angry at each other, or do you cause peace where you go? Do you cause people to be reconciled with one another, friendships to be restored, or do you just make it worse? Let's look at this, the personal side here. So we, this was all cosmic. Let's look personal. We want to remember Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He says this in John 10. I am the good shepherd. He leads his people. He guides them. He protects them. He takes care of them. And just a bit before this, he has said, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. So when he says, I'm the good shepherd, and he's just called himself equal with God, you should be thinking of Psalm 23, right? He's the one that leads us beside still waters. He's the one that restores our soul. He's the one whose rod and staff comfort us in the deepest, darkest valley of death. What do you do with this? Remember Jesus Christ, who through the thousands upon thousands of little decisions in your life, has guided you. How many times were we about to run off a cliff? Not literally, but you know what I mean. And he turned us back and we don't even know it. He saved us from so much pain. He's never forsaken us. He's always cared for us. He's even brought pain when we didn't want it and didn't think it was good. And he said, no, I want you to be a mature, godly man or woman. And I don't enjoy bringing this pain, but you need it. It's a good shepherd. Next. Again, I don't know a good word for this one. He's the reed keeper. So in Isaiah, it says that the Messiah won't break or won't cast away a bruised reed. There's millions of little reeds in Israel next to the water. If you're going to play with one, say make a flute out of it like they do sometimes or something else, you, you grab it up and if it breaks, it's done, right? Like You know those types of, of um, like sticks or reeds, I guess, where if it bends, like you can't get it to go back straight. But there's millions of them. Throw it away. Jesus does not do that. Jesus takes broken people, takes people who others would throw out, who are bruised and damaged, and he says, no, I, I, want, I want that one. And I'm keeping it, and I'm working with it, and I'm shaping it, and I'm loving it. And we get, we twist, we think so strangely sometimes. So we sometimes will think about God like, like he, like, like if you, um, you know sometimes you sin and you think, I'm scared to go to God in prayer. Or you haven't read your Bible and prayed for a long time, you think, oh man, I, I don't know. I, I, you just feel this tension. It's like a kid is running and they fall. A little kid falls and scrapes their knee. And the dad stays seated in the chair and just says, Hey, clean yourself up, and when you're, when you're cleaned up, then you can come back. No father does that, right? The kid starts to fall, and the father's already up out of his chair to go comfort the child. When we fall, do you think that our heavenly father is worse than an earthly father? When we fall, it draws him out 
faster to us. When we stumble, when we sin, he's quicker to come to us. He loves us. He wants, he wants to strengthen, to encourage, to challenge. It doesn't push, our sin doesn't push him away from us. It draws him closer. He loves to rescue. He loves to help weak people. So what do you do with this? Remember Jesus Christ, who is kind and patient and gentle with the weak and won't turn you away even after the thousandth failure or the ten thousandth or the hundred thousandth time. There's more we could say, but for sake of time, let's, let's hit this one last one. He's holy. He's holy. And this is one of those words that I think Satan has purposefully skewed and attacked because when I hear holy, and I'm sure some of you, you might not realize it, but when you hear holy, Jesus is holy, you think of someone who doesn't smile very often, definitely doesn't like candy, and scolds children for, for giggling. Right? Like we have this twisted picture. And if that's the twisted picture we have, and then we hear Jesus is holy, and then we wonder why we're not very gracious with other people or very excited about our relationship with the Lord. Holiness is overflowing joy. Holiness is laughter and contentment. Holiness is creativity and making and building and thinking. Holiness is engagement with the good things that God placed in the world. Holy people are loving people, warm people, welcoming people, interested in others. Holy people are those whose words build up and encourage, who care deeply about others. Holy people enjoy God's word. Holy people eat food and they like it. Holy people are amazed at God's world and delight in what he made. They pray and they mean it. It's not just for show. Holy people are patient. Holy people are intense, but not in a way that drives you away or makes you feel inferior. Holy people are upright. They don't do crooked things, even in the small details. Holy people make you feel at home. Holy people help you see truth more clearly. Holy people give you strength. They don't sap it when they're away from you when they're there. Holy people make your life more beautiful just by being around them. And that's Christ. That's what Christ, when we say holy, that's what we mean. Come to Christ because he, he is every, he's not some theological cyborg, right? Like he walks around going, I must be God and man, check. I must go to the cross, check. I need to preach now, check. That's not Christ. He's a person with all of the depth and beauty and richness. So what do I do with this? Remember Jesus Christ who is holy. And when your mind starts to twist things, when you start to feel like he's distant or cold, when you start to want to, to when you start to feel bored by him, fight in your mind to hold on to the real idea of holiness. This warm, welcoming, kind, beautiful person. We could say more. We could talk about how he's the truest friend, how he's the wisdom of God. We could talk about how he is love embodied. God is love. If you stripped down all of reality, all of the universe, stripped away all time and all everything, what would be left is a person who is love. It's the bedrock of reality. It's the bedrock of our soul. We can have utter peace because he is love, never stopping, never faltering love.
eternity won't be floating in boring, vague emptiness. It will be life, eternal life with our brothers and sisters. And, and with him, remember, we'll see him, we'll touch him. It'll be real. So, you remember we talked about those two people at the beginning, right? The two paths. My prayer is that for us as a church, the knowledge of what we see of who Christ is, this, this Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, that that would cause us to be a type of people. I mean, I, I kind of like dream or envision these kind of things sometimes. What, what would it look like if all of us caught such a vision of Christ and it gripped us so deeply that we became people whose interactions are full of grace toward one another and patience, warmness, welcoming to those outside the church, loving, gentle, honest, hardworking, fueled by a passion to honor Christ and walk with him. And here's the thing. I've been here uh, at Grace as a pastor about a decade. I've seen enough to know that that's not always the case. We're often hard, bitter, ungracious. No wonder the world looks at us and is like, yeah, we don't, whatever, we don't want that. We're cold, we're impatient sometimes. That's not what a Christian community is. If we catch a glimpse of Christ, he will transform us. He, he, if we get it, really see him, right? Stand on the edge of that Grand Canyon and let it sink in. If we remember Jesus Christ and are strengthened by his grace, what type of people do you think it's going to make us? What type of community would we become that the world would see, wow, that's different. I don't know what's going on there, but that's different. People who are all in. So my encouragement to you today, remember Jesus Christ. When you're tired, when your soul is thirsty, when you're weak, when you feel like you've failed and you don't, you don't know if he's going to accept you back, He'll never cast you out. Remember Jesus Christ. Let it give you strength in your marriage, in your work. Wherever God takes you, remember Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you came for us. You didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't leave us to, to despair and to the pain of walking without you. You sent Jesus, and now we have hope. Now we have a future. Now we can have peace and joy. Everlasting joy is at your right hand. And so, Lord, I pray this morning, make us people who, who mirror Christ, who live in ways that are full of graciousness and kindness and holiness and goodness. And, Lord, may that be a blessing on this world. May it cause others to come to know him and to have joy forevermore. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. If you would stand with us as we sing in closing. We are not what we should be. We haven't sought what we should see. We've seen your glory, Lord, and looked away. Hearts are bent, our eyes are dim, our finest works are stained with sin, and emptiness has shadowed 
Sorry for that. Uh, have a seat for a moment. Uh, we're going to conclude our service. Uh, actually, I'm going to invite um, three special people up right now, and that's our summer intern. So Jacob, Brandon, and Leslie are coming to the front. We're going to pray for these three in just a moment. They've uh, been with us for the summer, serving with uh, children's uh, groups here, youth groups, just being uh, such an amazing blessing to us. So in a moment, we'll pray. First, let me get through some announcements, just some things to have on your radar. Uh, number one, this Wednesday night, we will be down at Corona Del Mar State Beach for beach barbecue and baptisms. Hope you can join. Start time is 4 p.m., but baptism will start a bit later to give you time to get down there. Join us. It's going to be a great night together as a church. Uh, there's a membership class coming up August 16th, which is a Wednesday night here at 7 p.m. in the Worship Center. 
The missions course, which we saw the video for, starts September 19th. Please sign up. If you didn't get one already, um, there's one of uh, these in the back for you, a little QR code where you could sign up today for that, and there's a little promo code to get a discount as well. Men's and women's retreats are coming in the fall, so sign up for those. Ladies, you get an awesome retreat. Men, you get an awesome retreat and an awesome t-shirt, so don't miss out on that. Uh, there's also Grace Orange Academy starting this fall. Classes, theological uh, and uh, biblical worldview classes for students as a supplement to what's happening uh, in your home for education. And that is a wrap. So we're going to close right now praying for these three. Jacob, Brandon, and Leslie uh, have been amazing. I've had the, the joy to work with them this summer. Can we just thank them? They have been such a, a help to us and a blessing. So we love you guys, and we're very thankful for you and for how you serve us. So let's pray, and then that will be a wrap on our morning. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard this morning. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the king of the universe and the greatest friend to sinners like us. Um, pray that you would continue to work in our hearts to, to, to give us a sense and a knowledge of who he truly is and that we would draw strength from that and encouragement that our lives would be transformed by seeing Jesus as he really is and by knowing his love. So thank you for that. Thank you for these three, Jacob and Brandon and Leslie. They've been such a blessing. You provided them for us this summer and um, we've been so uh, grateful to have their service here at Grace. We also pray for them that you would use the things that they gleaned this summer to impact their lives going forward. Would they be uh, strengthened by you to be faithful servants of Christ in the different areas of life that you'll call them to? Um, we're just grateful for them. We pray your blessing on them as they move on to what's next this fall. And thanks for how they've, uh, they've blessed us this summer. Lord, we thank you so much for all your kindness towards us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor.